Thank you for listening to Room 9, my daddy's podcast. Hope you enjoy. If you would like to help Room 9, please visit their support page. You can listen to Room 9 on your favorite podcast listening platform. Don't forget to visit our Instagram and Facebook page. Please like it. Room 9, if you better yourself, you better the world. So, um, and, and of course, reputation and how others perceive you. And that is really what it's about. And, and so for me, at the end of the day, I just want to know when I'm ready to take that last breath that I've had some good relationships, I've helped somebody, and that I'm hopefully in the world in a little bit better place than I, than I got into it. Yeah, um, awesome. And that I don't have to save everybody. That's, that's impossible. But maybe I helped somebody. And I know I have. You know, I think about sometimes, um, you know, the people I work with at, at uh, Horizon or, you know, the talks I've done, you know, I've done a lot of talks and so forth. And people say, oh, thank you. That was so helpful. And I mean, that means a lot because when you can make that kind of impact on a person's life, you know that you're making a difference. And welcome to another episode of Room 9. That was Carl Shellhorn you just heard from. Carl is an incredible, awesome dude. He has struggled himself with bipolar and substance use and just so many things that he is open and authentic and willing to just share about. And if you can get anything from this episode and from Carl, is the fact that we can recover. We can get better. We can learn to live with whatever it is we're struggling with. And sometimes I believe personally that we can even totally get rid of some things and maybe not in the case with some people but with some other people i believe it's true anyway regardless you can live an awesome life no matter what mental health challenges or struggles or substance use or whatever it is you're going through you can find a way to get through it and carl's an awesome example of not only doing that but actually being very successful with what he's doing and he's just he's a rad dude and i enjoyed my conversation with him and i hope you enjoy it as well he touches on his book and you know his consultancy business and everything else, but mainly he gives you hope and just shares with me and you about how recovery is possible. So enjoy. I love you guys. Talk to you later. Peace out. take a little bit of that chunk anyway so we can you can just hop right into it you know wherever you wanted to start as sure. far as your journey goes and all that yeah well well sean thank you for having me it's uh it's really uh nice to be able to share some time with you and and kind of tell a little bit about myself and some things i'm involved in and uh kind of tell you where i hope to go and and it's interesting it really my story and i've shared it many times before probably more times than i even want to remember but <laughs> It really began you know, when I was a freshman in college, when I had a major psychotic episode. I was going to a school, it was called General Motors Institute, actually, it was an engineering school. Uh, and, and I was really in a place where I was caught up, you know, using drugs and, and in a place where I was away from home. And then it was a very intense curriculum. I mean, very rigorous. I had no reason being there in the first place. I'm not really of that mind, but I went there probably for all the wrong reasons. And 
like I said, I had a, a psychotic episode in my second semester. And that really was something that turned my life really upside down. And in fact, uh, you know, the ironic thing is that, uh, you know, my mother's rehabilitation counselor, or she was, she passed away many years ago. And, and she struggled with the idea of me having a mental health condition uh, because I'm adopted. That's another little feature and okay. I'm only child. So really all her time and energy, you know, my entire life up to that point, she was focusing on me and of course had all these expectations and hopes and so forth. And I think a lot of them were dashed against, against the rocks, so to speak, when that all happened. And, and so we talk a lot of times about the family dynamic that can happen when mental health and addiction happens. And it totally hit my family in every way, even though I was the only person, there were no other children. It really kind of rocked our family uh, at the foundation. And I, I took about, I guess it's probably like a good seven or eight years of going in and out of hospitals. I was you know, in the Buffalo General Community Mental Health Center, ECMC. I was in Buffalo Psychiatric Center a couple of times. Hmm. I received uh, ECT and I was in a ward with these guys, some who were literally criminally insane. Who had, and so it was, a, and I was like 20, 21 years old. Then I got connect with Horizon, Horizon Health Services. And this is at the, at the early days of Horizon when they actually, the, it was, they were called catchment areas back then. And the, so the county was divided into different areas and Horizon was relatively early in its, in its uh, you know, organization. Um, they weren't that new, but they were still relatively new mm-hmm. compared to, of course, they've been around a long time. And I got connected with some counselors. First couple of counselors, as you know, they sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. But I got connected with a guy named Dick Heffern. And Dick was a, something else. He, he's a Vietnam, post-Vietnam era vet. You know, we'd sit in his office. He'd smoke cigarettes, Marlboro's. <laughs> you know, uh, drinking coffee out of thermos kind of thing. And, uh, and, and one day he said to me, uh, Carl, let me give you three choices. Either you go to rehab, you go to 12 step meeting, or you end up back in the hospital. And and the funny thing is I'd actually graduated from college. It took me seven years. I graduated from Buffalo state with a degree in broadcasting. I wanted to work in radio. And at that time I was working at a local recording studio, select sound recording studio. And Kenmore. Awesome. Yeah. And I said to myself, well, I don't want to tell my boss I have a drug problem. I don't want to go to rehab. And I definitely didn't want to go back to the hospital because that was horrible. I mean, I've been there like I said, seven or eight times in, in the previous seven years or so. So I said, okay, I'll go to the, the 12-step meeting. And a couple of days later, I went to the meeting. And that's really where my life literally changed. You can almost say overnight. You know, I walked in that meeting high and I walked out thinking, well, maybe I can do this. I saw a woman get up and get her three-day clean time. And, and I, so I looked at her like, well, she can do it. I can do it. I mean, you know, so I kind of had that mindset and I just made a practice of going to meetings regularly. I picked up the idea of getting involved in service and so forth. And just kind of rolled into the point where a couple years later, I decided to enroll in school. And I became a counselor uh, at Buffalo General. Actually, the first place I was hospitalized was Buffalo General, and then I ended up working there at the same building. It was kind of ironic as well. And then just things took a life of their own. I, I worked for a while. I had another episode. Uh, my wife was pregnant. Uh, we had just gotten married, and that was because of a medication change. So that was around 95, but that was the last time I had a manic episode. Really? Awesome. Yeah. And the thing, the thing that's interesting, Sean, I, I, so many times people look at uh, you know, having a mental condition as being, I, I just don't say like a death sentence. And I don't mean that literally, but they feel like their lives are over. Mm-hmm. And and I've come to understand, not just for me, but for others I know, that it's not that. It doesn't have to be that way. I was just having a conversation real quickly. I was having a conversation with a friend last night talking about how, and I'll just say the system basically goes against people because it, it has a way of, of creating victims. Mm-hmm. Right. And and the way that's set up is that and I, I even was this person, but if you get SSI, you've hit the golden ticket. Right. Or if you've hit, you know, SSD, you've got the golden ticket. You can <laughs> you can now just slide by. And, and the funny thing about that was I was on I was one of those people. 
Really? Okay. But I was, yeah, I was, you know, early on, I was on public assistance, you name it. I was on all that stuff back in the day, Medicaid, but, but I still had this desire to, to go beyond there. I knew I had some potential. And so, but, but, you know, the system I think has a way of just doing this to folks. And it's like this idea of learned helplessness. Hmm. You know, you rely on the system so long that you feel that you have no other opportunities or options. So anyway, I got in the field of working. I you know, had that last episode in 95, and then I went back to school again. I got my master's degree from Buffalo State in student personal administration. I transitioned to higher education for 12 years. And it was during that time that I really, uh, really became very stable. I just really just had ended up having a couple of daughters and, and my life was you know, really, in so many ways, the American dream. I mean, hmm. my, my father was still alive. Mom had passed away in 96. My dad was still alive. We ended up moving with my dad. He was like the ideal grandfather. And then the life was pretty good. You know, despite everything in the world, life was pretty good. I just was cruising along. But then I thought about, you know, mental health and sharing my story. And I just wanted to let people know that recovery is possible. And so right around 2008 or so, I connected with NAMI, National Alliance of Mental Illness, after, after Britney Spears had all her stuff in the news. And I wrote articles in the paper saying, you know, why don't we hear more positive stories of people with mental illness, you know, in the media, just regular people. Because everything is so negative. Yeah. Yeah. And so I outed myself in that article. I was working at a local, at a local college at Damon. At the time. Okay. Uh, nobody knew there about my condition. So, so I really took a huge risk unknowingly, but at the same time I was doing a per diem hour long group at Horizon. I'd kind of I had this framework for this uh, idea, I work on wellness, which is actually the first book I wrote, Work on Wellness, A Practical Guide to Mental Health. So I developed a group out of that for the PROS program. And after having a conversation with uh, the VP for enrollment management, where she said, Carol, you know, if this isn't your passion, meaning the higher thing, uh, you know, you need to find out what it is. Mm. Literally, she said that to me. And, and so I immediately walked out of her office. I called Horizon. <laughs> I said, hey, Michelle, my contact, any full-time openings? So they hired me. Full time in the pros program. And what year was And this I'll current? tell you something. That was, you know, and sometimes I think life gives you just these opportunities and you're pointing in the right direction and you take the risks and and you make it happen. And you know, fortunately I'd had a credential years before. So that allowed me to go back to where I had to, of course, pay to get my credential back through New mm-hmm. York State, but I did that. Uh and 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 so I spent that three and a half years at Horizon really learning about mental health and learning about diagnoses and 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 working with clients. And it was challenging. I mean, it was a challenging job, but I learned so much. And the thing I learned, you know, and it's not a thing that you can learn, but I just developed such empathy Mm. for the folks. I mean, it was like I saw myself and every person there because I'd been there. I'd been in, you know, like a day treatment program years before. I'd been, uh, you know, in the sheltered workshop. I'd worked in a sheltered workshop even for briefly in my life. So, So all those things that many of the people going through there, I had experienced myself. It was just a tremendous experience. And eventually I, I decided to make a shift. I went into advocacy work. I worked at the Mental Association in Erie County, Compere, uh, ended up doing some training around uh, mental first aid. I became a project director for a federal grant. So basically, as time went on, I assumed more responsibilities and, and just things took a life of their own. Hmm. And uh, you know, more recently, I ended up at the Community Health Center of Buffalo, working uh, as project director for the same kind of grant for mental first aid. Okay. And then I started my own consulting business this past April. Uh, well, it's public. I started the you know, the previous year before uh, just getting things started, but I went, kind of went public this past April, right when the pandemic began. And it's been an interesting journey since that time. So basically, we're talking about over 39 years in the making, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's, it's taken it's taken some time, but I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't change anything, but I wouldn't want to go through it again. Those first <laughs> years, man, were so hard. So hard. Mm. I mean, we're talking like psychosis, delusions, and just mania, and just it was horrible. 
I wouldn't wish it on anybody. Yeah, it sounds, I mean, I personally have n- never really experienced it other than a little depression. Uh, you know, that was, I mean, I think most of my mental health was, all right, I just got to learn to love my damn self somehow and have confidence in myself. But luckily I never, I mean, even I would say if I could go back, my my relationship with my now ex-wife, I could. I should have totally handled her depression differently. In the during our relationship, she had some postpartum depression, and I just it, I didn't couldn't understand it. You know, I wasn't educated at all. I was in my early twenties, just like, come on, be happy. What the hell's wrong with you? you right. know, so looking back, I could have definitely have done things differently. But yeah, I can only imagine, man. You've been through you've been through a lot. I can't imagine even like, can you define like when you say you had a psychotic experience, or you know, define what that means to you or yeah, your yeah. experience, so people know because some people are like, what the hell does that even mean? And I think a lot of people automatically assume killing. You know, I feel right. like that's a stigma, right? You're, you're right, absolutely. Norman Bates now. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so please so, explain that. So it's funny, you know, you talk about the stigma. That's right. Most people think that if you are experiencing psychosis, you're going to go out and harm somebody, harm yourself. Most people who experience psychosis are more likely to be victims of crimes than, than mm-hmm. perpetrators. Like only 4% are those who who, who are, are perpetrators. That's what What's what research says. So psychosis is basically a loss of touch with reality in one form or another. And usually it's in the form of hallucinations or delusions. So hallucinations are the things that you see, hear, touch, taste, smell that aren't there. I mean, when I was at Horizon, there was a client actually who would smell burning. And, and, and he would, you know, that would that would be a red flag that he was heading towards a relapse. Hmm. Uh, my, my delusion, actually, I've, I have heard voices. When I had my first episode when I was at in that college uh, dormitory room, I heard my mother's voice as clear as day. And then I had another time, like within that year after when I'd come home to kind of convalesce, I was out, I used to be a runner. I used to, well, over those days, I ran as an adult too, but I ran, I thought for a run, I heard my, my cousin just talking to me, like, like she was right there, scared the crap out of me. I went home and I called her. I said, did you, were you talking to me? And she's like, what are you talking about? But it's, it's weird because it sounds like the voice is right there. It's mm. so real and, and it's scary if you've never experienced it before. Um, but yeah. most people, I mean, you know, it can be managed, whether it be through medication or other means. Some people who have voices, uh, hear voices, are learn to live with them. I mean, there's there's support groups for people who hear voices uh, throughout the world. Hear Voices Network, it's called. But the thing about hallucinations and delusions, so delusion is that false belief that's not grounded in reality. That's one definition. So I had, you know, these, these you know, called like messianic beliefs or beliefs I could you know, save the world, or I had these supernatural powers or that kind of thing. And that's not uncommon either here. And then also like they call ideas of reference where you think that, you know, like I was really into music and I'm still into music. So, you know, listen to a song, think the song applies to you, right? You know, mm-hmm. the lyrics, whatever. And so, you know, all that stuff. And, you know, people, you explain it to people that they, yeah, they do say you're crazy, right? But the reality is we know that it's a brain disease. It's a disease, right? It's not, it's not uh, a moral issue. It's not, uh, you know, good or bad. It's, it's not a character flaw. It's not a weakness. It's a brain disease. I mean, you could, you could literally go right now and, and do a CAT scan of my brain, uh, you know, do some MRI, whatever, you know, imaging of my brain. And you would see that there's probably some areas that are different than maybe another person's who has no mental health or addiction related condition. I mean, they've done live, you know, uh, research. They've done, like I said, all these, this imagery, x-ray, not x-ray, but, you know, CAT scan and other types of imagery. So um, the point I'm making though, is that the brain is just different than other people's brain. Mm. And, and, but what happens though, it results in, in behaviors that 
are oftentimes unusual. And for those who aren't educated, it can be very scary. So I teach mental first aid, like I said before, and we talk about psychosis and mental first aid. We describe what it is. We even do an auditory hallucination exercise. So people can get okay. an impression of what is it like. And we also demystify it because like you said before, people don't know, people don't have the education. Yeah, no, they So don't. people need to learn really what is mental health, what's mental illness, what are mental conditions, mental health conditions, and how do they affect people? The reality is, in my under, in my belief, is that if people are better educated, we'd all be better off. Absolutely. Um, because like you said, even yourself, you know, with your ex-wife, oh, come on, it's a nice day outside. Just get up and take a walk. Well, guess what? I'm depressed. I can't even get out of bed. I can't move. Yeah. I've been there. No, and I've been there. I remember 1983. Actually, this is right. So I had my first episode in 81. They thought I was schizophrenic. They thought I lived with schizophrenic. schizophrenic. Well, I'm sure there's, I mean, there's got to be definitely a lot of overlap between. Oh, yeah, it was. Yeah. 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 I mean, I was catatonic when they found mm -hmm. me in my dormitory room. I was not moving. I wasn't responsive. I wouldn't talk. I wouldn't talk. I wouldn't talk for days. I, you know, in yeah. fact, the first experience I had, I don't remember how long I was in the hospital at Buffalo General. It was, it's all a blur. So, you know, for me, it was the kind of thing where it, it just took time to heal. So like a broken bone, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it takes time for a broken bone to heal. Well, a person's brain has to heal also. And the key for me in the healing was, a lot of the healing was stopping the use of substances. Now that not everybody subscribes to that. Mm -hmm. um, there are people with different you know, people health conditions that use substances. Sometimes people say that, you know, cannabis or you know, whatever is, is helpful for anxiety. I'm not going to, I'm not going to speak on that. That's really a personal choice. But Absolutely. for me, yeah. me personally, I can't go over there because the psychosis, you know, some people are very, uh, prone to psychosis if they use psychoactive substances like oh marijuana. absolutely yeah and that was me I'm I'm that person yeah I mean I, I even think about it now if I were to even take a puff I'm I'm not afraid to like touch because like I know what I have in my brain mm -hmm. <laughs> you know and I think I might have been predisposed I mean like I said I'm adopted I learned uh, in 2017 about my birth family uh, so I met my birth siblings oh that's on awesome. the other side. I went through, I did the whole ancestry DNA thing and someone reached out to me who's a second cousin. That's a whole, that's a whole other episode, yeah, Sean. That, we can talk about that. Though. That's cool that you um, did that. But I learned about my birth mother who was alive when I found out about her. She ended up dying um, about a year later, but I learned she lived in Alaska and wow. she lived with a severe mental illness. In fact, she, she, she had, well, it turns out four other children, three of which were raised by the same father, and none of them have mental health conditions. Enough, none of them have any mental health issues whatsoever. Hmm. I, I drew the lucky straw. And the thing is that, so she ended up abandoning them when the oldest daughter was five, the oldest child was five, and she went out west and ended up in Alaska for 20 years, where she spent the last 20 years, 20, 25 wow, years old. that's crazy. What a random place to go. I well, guess. she said, it's so funny, my sister Sylvia uh, says that, you know, our mother used to say, you know, the lower 48 can't handle me. <laughs> she, she, I guess that's she's awesome. a real pistol, real yeah. trip. But that's, but see, that's the genetic predisposition disposition we talk about. So I, ha I had that genetic predisposition. I had the drug use. I had the stress of the school. Stress is also a very big risk factor for mm. people who are vulnerable uh, to these conditions. So all these things come together. And as I say, there's like a perfect storm that really just, it just blew up. Yeah. Just blew up. So, and, but then you talk about stigma, uh, you know, right now I'm the chair of the Erie County Anti-Stigma Coalition and our, our cause is to, is to reduce and eliminate stigma as it is to educate people, to let people know what mental health, health is, what it isn't and, and change the language, right? Stop using those terms that people often use like crazy nuts, you know, uh, you know, that kind of thing. Because 
those words have been, you know, more or less normalized into our language, our vernacular, that when you use it, sometimes I understand people say crazy. That's, oh, this one's really crazy. But still, there's still this subtle implication of, okay, what does crazy mean? Like, where does it come from? Mm-hmm. And, and to mind you, it's one thing, that guy's crazy. That's definitely something that, you know, that for the person, like I've said to you, like, Sean, you're like, you're crazy, man. You are crazy. That could be taken, you know, in a, in a way that eventually the person will self-stigmatize. Mm-hmm. Now, if you hear that message long enough, like a child, if you tell a child they're stupid, Every day, they're going to leave us stupid. Yeah. I mean, and that goes the same thing. That's what I had to do with, again, coming back to my expert. I had to do that with me talking to myself. You know, you dumbass, you idiot. Yeah. You can't do anything, right? You know, even talking to myself, you start to identify with that. So that's, I mean, such a, that's definitely a huge point. And the stigma is, it's just, it's out of control. I mean, it really is. And I honestly, I always try to tell people, I love the work that Carl Jung did with um, people who struggle with schizophrenia. And he always just talked about they're ahead of their time. He always believed it. He was like, just because, I mean, their brain is wired than what we would call normal. You know, we have that spectrum of if you're wired this way, you're this. And if you're not wired this way and you're wired this way, you're over here in this label. And going back to what causes stigma is we just need to cut out the whole damn labels in general because people are Carl Jung always thought people with schizophrenia were had like they were just had superpowers you know and kind of for lack of a better term but I always just yeah. love that well and, and remember too like one thing we teach in the mental first aid program is that mental health is on a spectrum mm-hmm. it's on a continuum and and we're all at any given time somewhere in that continuum and and you know it all, always fluctuates and and so one thing about the coalition we have our website let's talk stigma.org Mm-hmm. And on that website, people can go there and, and they can take the pledge and stigma. Basically, you you enter your email address, you you agree to not use stigmatizing language, you agree to educate yourself, you agree to educate others and, and take the opportunity to, to take those teachable moments, things like that. And then that's basically what we ask people to do by going to the website. And then we also have a monthly newsletter that comes out where you can opt in to receive it. And it has calendar of events. We usually have articles about you know, either topics or people. And um, it's just a really great project. We've been going on for several years. We just expanded in Niagara County. Awesome. So we're working in Niagara County now and getting that off the ground. And um, and it's a great bunch of people. It's been 16 organizations that have been together from day one. And and we only lost one organization. That's because they lost their funding. Okay. But we have, for instance, the Erie County Department of Mental Health is involved. The Patrick P. Lee Foundation and the Elizabeth uh, Peter Elizabeth C. Tower Foundation. They're uh, two funders that have helped along the way. And, and we've had, uh, you know, everywhere from... From Jewish Family Service to Prevention Focus to Compeer to MHA to Brylin, um, Crisis Services, all of them. I'm sure you know there's others that you know Telesco Creative Group, which is our marketing firm. You know uh, we have a public relations person. All these people come together to promote this message of of not using stigmatizing you know language and and just changing the conversation, mm-hmm. change the perceptions of people with mental health conditions, which is so important. Oh yeah. my gosh, does that ever need to be done? Yep, it does. Carl, how much do you think? Because I always had, I just had this discussion with somebody, and it's interesting. You know, I always, I feel like sometimes medicalizing stuff makes it more of a stigma. But I also feel like things have needed to be medicalized. And this is speaking of in just substance use and mental health in general. But they, they had to be medicalized because it, it, you had to get out of the judicial system. People shouldn't be punished for this. You know, there should be different ways of handling it. You know, how much do you think like the medicalizing of things? kind of adds to the stigma 
or take it away. It's just something I've always tossed up in my head. And, you know, it was one of those debates I've always had with myself. Yeah, well, in a way, I guess you're talking about the medical model, which is what they've called it for some reason. So the medical model really looks at, you know, and I even use the term disease, mm-hmm. right? It looks as, as at addiction. It looks at uh, mental health conditions as diseases. It's not always seen that way for some people. Um, and, and I think the, the thing is that it's, it's developed into the system that it is now. A lot of it, honestly, is driven by, you know, insurance because mm. you have to have a diagnosis in order to get payment. So if you go to any agency, if you don't meet the criteria for a diagnosis, then chances are they won't work with you. Mm. Not to say that they just make something up, but and usually when people go to a program, you're not going to just go like, I don't have a program. I think I'll just go check it out. No, usually people go there for a reason. So yeah. most people go to get whether it be help, a private but, practitioner yeah. or provider, you know, community-based provider. There's something that they need to get help with. But I've even, I've worked with people before, you know, when I was a clinician, didn't meet the criteria. And, and those criteria are in the DSM, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual. That's still used today. It is. But, but like you said before, it's the kind of thing where you can't put people into boxes. Nope. And I think that's what our system does is it tries to categorize people and, and put them in these little boxes when the reality is, is that we're always in flux. We're always changing. We're always so like, yeah, I still have a diagnosis. It's in remission. My diagnosis bipolar type one was psychotic features. Uh, and I, I think it's a uh, cannabis use. Uh, well, I, back in the day with dependence. Mm-hmm. Uh, abuse and dependence. Now it's mild, moderate, severe, how they describe it. And I use other things as well. But the point is that... Um, you know, that diagnosis, I still have that diagnosis. It's still on my records, but I don't have the symptoms. Hmm. I don't experience psychotic symptoms. I don't experience mania. I don't experience depression. My condition is, is, is managed through medication, through self-care, through social supports, like, you know, belonging to a 12-step program, which I'm still involved with. So the reality is, like I said, in the very beginning is that it's not a, it's not a death sentence. So when people get this label, especially for the first time, they think, oh, my life is over. How do I do this? I, I, I'm, I, I'm bipolar. Oh, my God. I mean, I grant, I grant. Like, so I, I belong to a Facebook group for, for people with bipolar disorder. And, and I'll tell you, man, it rips my heart out because I read these, these posts for people who are really struggling and, and I, I can relate so well. But so many of them are new to this condition that they don't know what to do. And also not everyone has the same access to treatment or the same support. Mm-hmm. So like, even though my mother struggled with my condition and my, my dad was, was always supportive, they, they were always in my corner. I always had a place to stay. I was at Huge. a meal. I always, uh, I never had to worry about anything. So in a sense, I had privilege. I had access to treatment. I had all the right tools to get well, but I still had to follow the program. It doesn't mean that you have those things and you, you do what you need to do. But for whatever reason, I would follow the treatment plan, or at least eventually. I mean, I, I wasn't always a good patient. Um, <laughs> yeah, it takes time, time, right? It takes time. When, but, when, but, honestly, but once I stopped using, that's when things began to click. I began to realize, okay, maybe I do need to take the medication every day. Maybe I do need to do the mm-hmm. And that, that's when things began to turn around. But, you know, I think oftentimes when people are newly diagnosed, they, they struggle with it. And rightly so. Um, it's scary. Yeah. Okay. Because especially if you imagine, like, if you are eighteen or sixteen or seventeen or nineteen, and you get this diagnosis, and you have no idea what's going on. Yeah. 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 And then also, you think you're the only person in the world who has it. Mm-hmm. You're afraid to tell anybody if you're having these feelings. So, and that's where the stigma comes in because we know that when people are experiencing these things, they're afraid to share with others what's going on, hmm. and you're afraid to tell people what's happening. I mean, like I said, from my experience, I know that um, 
it's it's a big thing to handle when you get this message. But we also need people out there to say that you can get better. You know, it's hard now, but there's things you can do to to improve and, and get healthy. So that's why I became a counselor in the first place, right? Many years ago, I wanted to help people because I've been helped that way, and I realized that recovery is possible. And I've always mm. believed that recovery is possible. And it's not the same for everybody what recovery means. Yeah. But I believe we can all go a little bit further than where we are, where we were in mm-hmm. terms of our overall health. Yeah, absolutely. And I, th- I think that's super important. I mean, what you're doing, you know, part of my kind of journey where I see where I'm headed with room nine is really to try to um, negate that, that loneliness and negate that I'm the only one going through this just by really using and creating content for social media. I feel like that's a, there's a huge shortage of that. And I f- feel like it's not being talked about enough because I, I, I don't know if it, it kind of goes under the marketing umbrella or what it is, but it's such a easy way to bring value to the people who use your services or could possibly potentially be using your services. And I think that's a big piece of it. To, so people know, oh, I can go get help. Oh, I'm not the only one going through this. And I mean, I know personally throughout all of my struggles, I was always on social media still throughout my addiction, somehow still had a phone, you know, and all of that. I mean, I just love what you're doing, Carl. I do have down here. I have to ask you, were you, did you have a hippie stage at all in your life? No. No, I never went there. I mean, um, <laughs> I was more so, you got to remember my formative years, my coming of age years, I guess you could say, were the 80s. Okay. And so the yeah. 80s were all about, for me at least, about the music, because I'm a huge music lover. I wanted to work in radio. So I worked at the Buffalo State Radio Station. So I was kind of like a new wave, kind of punkish kind of guy. Not really a punk, but I, you know, I was into the, all that music. And that's really where I came from, my frame of reference. I mean, I never was a deadhead. I was never you know, into that jam band scene or anything. In fact, I, I don't really like that music at all. I never really? liked that music. I, and even the lifestyle, I never was really that kind of person. But I, I love the drugs. <laughs> I did like the drugs. So if you had the drugs, I don't care what you were Who's into. Who's playing? My buddy. <laughs> yeah. Because that's how yeah. it works, right? But yeah, that part of my life was interesting. So it's like the 80s for me was the best. Like I say, it was the best of times, the worst of times. So in many ways for me, it was it was so messed up. Like I said, I never want to go through it again, but it was also some very cool times. Like, once again, it comes to the music. I just said this, you know, as a DJ at the radio station and just learning about music and then eventually work in a recording studio uh, like I did just for one year was like the dream, my dream. And I still, like, awesome. I still yeah. today think that was one of the coolest jobs I've ever had. I bet. Like, I bet. Music. Well, music was, music was a huge part of my, my life early on. Anyway, I have a special relationship because when my brother and sister died, when I was 15, that was the only thing for many years that helped me not keep everything bottled in. Yeah. I mean, music was it. That was the only yep. thing, you know? And so music always has a huge place in my life. I absolutely love it. So that's I had yeah. to ask. I was I just was wondering. I was like, I can picture because I I love jam bands. Dave Matthews, all those fish, you know, all those guys. Me and my good buddy, we just drove up and down the East Coast. So <laughs> I've had my my hippie year. I I just thought, yeah, I can picture Carl at a dead dead show, but I guess I was completely off on that. No, I mean, um, I you know, if you say uh, I don't know, just for frame of reference, the band that everybody knows. If you say Talking Heads, then I'm right there with you. I love the um, talking. I love. I just recently, over the last 15 years, have gotten into the 80s. I finally they find in a spot for me. I saw them real, real quick. Work story. I saw them in in 1980 in Detroit at the Masonic uh, Hall in Detroit. And mm, that's then, awesome. 
those like when they the uh, album, the name of this band is Talking Heads, the live album and all that. I saw them for the Stop Making Sense tour, you know, the big big suit tour where mm-hmm. uh, you know the the white suit and all that. I saw that at UB. That's awesome. That's that great. was like an awesome show. So I've seen I've seen some great shows, man. That's a whole once again that's a whole other show to get into, like like you know music and mental health, right? So, Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I've just there's so many people that I've talked to too. Music's been a big piece, you know, and I think you could definitely find a big group of people like that. Yeah. But let's move on. Talk to me about your book. I know you, your yeah. most recent one. I know you said 12 Steps were obviously, very obviously, since just hearing you talk in the title of your book, um, that 12 Steps were a huge part in your life. But this one's about leadership through the lens of yeah. 12 Steps, correct? Yeah. And yeah. I'm very interested in that because I think I like to at least pretend or at least think that I have some good leadership skills in myself. Um, and I'm just curious. I, I would love to hear like about your book because it sounds interesting, intriguing. Well, let me say, first of all, you just said right there, everybody has the capacity to be a leader. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we always think of a leader as being the one who is making all the decisions and, and you know telling people what to do. There's different types of leaders. Yeah, I don't picture myself as quite that kind of leader. There's, there's, you know, there's, there's autocratic leaders who, who are the ones who tell people what to do. But there's also coaching leaders who help people by uh, working with people to get them to be their best. There's democratic leaders, the ones who say, uh, "What do you think about that? Let's work on this together." There's laissez-faire leaders who kind of let people do their own thing, right? So there's all kinds of leaders. Hmm. But we also develop our leadership skills, and that's why I wrote the book. It's called Leadership Through the Lens of the Twelve Steps, and I really basically correlate the principles found in 12-step programs with those of leadership. Okay. And really, it's a very simple model because I, so in the book, I modify some of the steps to be, so the entirely, the steps that I have used are all um, secular in nature. I've taken out the the language uh, associated with God or spirituality to make it universal, mm-hmm. but also I want to apply it to leadership. So that's one thing I've done. So the book itself describes, you know, what the principle is, or some of them have multiple principles. And, and then um, I, I kind of break it down. And I also give a real world example based on my experience of working. And then there's questions. So it's, it's sort of like if you're familiar with like the 12 step guide, they have in in, in, uh, NA, very similar concept. But with it, people are able to kind of take a look at themselves and apply, like I said, these principles and also, and use the questions as a means of self-exploration and self-examination. So what I've done aside from that is also I've created a a program to go with it that is more or less a cohort-based program that essentially people can can participate in to work through the 12 steps together as a group. And it's a class, it's, the term is called mastermind. That's the term they use for these kind of programs. So it's a mastermind class based on this book. And so I have a separate workbook that I've created to go with this. So, so there's the, the actual book, which is like a manual, but there's also the workbook that goes with this class. And I've done it, uh, I've done it uh, with a group and, and it's really pretty cool to see, I've done it with some leaders who are pretty, you know, pretty high level, some people. I was in the Health Foundation of Western Southern New York Health Leadership Fellows Program. I graduated from that in 2019. Okay. And that's where I kind of got the idea of really expanding, growing into leadership. Um, so I had some folks from my team take part in, the, in this uh, program that I started. And along with some other folks that I knew, one person who's like a VP uh, from m and and uh, someone else, uh, you know, is a administrator of Catholic Charities. Uh, so I had some people um, who were really good, good folks. And, uh, and so I got tremendous feedback because what I did was each session would focus on a particular step. 
Okay. And in it, we would just have a discussion around how this step applies to the workplace and situations they're involved in. And I'm the facilitator. So I'm not the one to give the answers. The group is the one to help each other sort things out and work things out and, and provide feedback so that they can walk away with some ideas on how to better handle workplace situations that might be affecting them. And, and the whole idea is, is really about growth, because in my estimation, there's always room to grow. There's always places you can improve. Like with the 12 steps, you go to 12 and you go back to one. Mm-hmm. It's a cycle. You never end. And you just keep going around and around and around. So the idea is that it's, you, know, you could take this and, and use it indefinitely in, in your career. And just keep repeating it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then also the book itself can be used with a, with a coach, right? You can get a coach to help you with it and work with you through it. And you know, hopefully they're familiar with the program as well. But the idea is that when you do that, you get in the feedback. It's kind of like, it's like having a sponsor who, who can mm-hmm. be there, who could be that, that sounding board, who can be that person to give you the, um, the feedback and the uh, suggestions that might be helpful. Yeah, which we all need. You know, we all need that person or even, I mean, even to have the workbook, I think is huge. I mean, you mentioned that idea. It's all about self-exploration. And I always, you know, I always think about that is if we all just spend more time looking inward right, as opposed to outward, everything would be, there'd be no effing problems with anything. <laughs> like we'd all be yeah. like, all right, we have to work on this. So let's help each other. Hey, yeah. I stink at this, but you're better at this. Can you help me? Yeah. You know, and we yeah. all naturally would be humbled. And I just, you know, I, I love that idea because we all need stuff. When I, when I first got into analytical psychology, I guess more specifically, but Freud is Freud and Young and, you know, Adler. I, I just loved all those people who followed Freud around. But just for the idea of a projection, right? What I see in you is you pretty much, well, something inside of me that I'm just finding in other people, right? And it just, it totally blew my mind when I, you know, even if it was weeks later, like, all right, I just, I totally was judging that person on, you know, how much of a, you know, overconfident, you know, how cocky they are or whatever it is. Right. And I'm looking inward. And when I found those things, it was crazy. And one of the biggest things for me is even in my mid twenties, Carl, I, I became very introspective, just dove in. I'm going to fix myself. I'm going to read, I'm going to learn, I'm going to apply, take all this knowledge and I'm going to be good. And by the time that I got halfway, you know, years later, all I had was this list of things I sucked at and I'm still working on patience. Right. <laughs> right. So a big piece of it is self-love. And I, you know, I need that self-love and I feel like that's why so many people are reluctant to go in the self-exploration Right. is because of you got to find some things you, you suck at. You got to find some things, m- mistakes you made and, and all of that. And I think it's a huge piece. And I think you going into companies is even better because I think a company is just like one big individual, right? Right. And yeah, and that's how you have to look at it. So big individuals like companies have to do inner exploration as well. <laughs> so you yeah, have all and, that and that's huge. And, 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 you know, the idea, I mean, this, so the program, like the, the program, the, the group, the class, the mastermind is really well suited for people who are emerging leaders, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I, it's, it's suitable for anybody. But it really is good for those who are beginning to take on those leadership roles that may not have the, the experience or the time under their belts to know how to handle certain situations or maybe facing challenging situations that they could use some support. So in a way, it's kind of like a support group too. Yeah, yeah. Right? That, that can develop. So, you know, in many respects, it could be a way of developing relationships with people that work in similar industries. Because the thing is, it is designed for, say, one company to, to have people take part, but it's also it's designed that 
all I need is a cohort of say five or six people and, and they could do it together and they could be their own mm-hmm. kind of support group that could develop from that. Yeah, that's, that's cool. And does that go, now is that kind of what you do with shallow horn consulting? Yeah. You, that's yes, that's exactly one of the things I do. do. Yeah, that's one of the things I do. And that's been more recent developed. I still do a lot of uh, training uh, on behavioral health. Uh, I still work as a consultant with the Community Health Center at Buffalo, where I was working full time. So I still administer the uh, mental first aid program there. I'm the project director for a federal grant. Uh, I do a Facebook Live program there called Color Me Healthy. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yep. And Color Me Healthy is a, a Facebook Live program for communities of color. It, it started focusing on wellness, but it's kind of morphed into as much of a public affairs program, which I love because, I mean, this is where I've had some really great community leaders come in and we talk about all kinds of topics. I've, I've had everyone from the new president of the Buffalo Urban League, Thomas Buford, to Crystal People Stokes. I mean, everybody knows Crystal People Stokes. Mm-hmm. She's a, you know, the, the Senate uh, you know, the assembly uh, majority leader for New York uh, State. I've had, you know, Betty Jean Grant, who is an icon uh, in, in Erie County. You know, you name it. I've had a lot of really key players. And also awesome. leading up to the election. You know, we had a lot of people leading up to election talking about, you know, voting and, you know, people from Open Buffalo and other organizations that really, I felt like I was actually helping get the word out. And, mm-hmm. and it's a platform, like you have a platform. And as I said before, my undergraduate degree is in broadcasting. So I have no problem being behind a microphone. And, yeah, and I've so learned to I love, love it. it. Yeah, I've yeah. learned to love it myself. Yeah. So I, I mean, it's so funny. I'm using those skills I got from over 30 years ago, but it's, it's really cool. And so I do that too. And that's, that's actually fun. I love it. Just not that my other job isn't part of it isn't fun, but that's just fun to sit down and like oh, this and have yeah. a conversation with people. There is, there is nothing better than it. I mean, that's why sometimes like I have to pay more attention to like my numbers. I don't look at them enough because I could probably find some trends and I should be playing on that more. But uh, I mean, I just love the conversation piece of it. I've always wanted to do this and it's just, it's a great way to talk with people. Hey, you want to do a podcast? Absolutely. Yeah. My, my hero, my hero is Terry Gross from NPR. You know, she does the Fresh yep. Air program. I love listening to her do interviews. I mean, she's like probably the best mm. I've ever heard. I mean, there's been Charlie Rose, and other people, but she's like got this way of just being so conversational. You know, she was actually at UB for a while too. She was- Really? Uh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, she works the early days at UB. But anyway, um, yeah, she is just wonderful to listen to and, and just, just so good. I mean, like I said, I just- I want to be like her when I grow up. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I do. I do. I mean, I, I enjoy the the podcast vibe more than like the journalism because I love the conversation. Like we could go off like I don't care if we went off and talked about 80s music and how it helps mental yeah. health. Like, you know, but as you know, I said, I always allow the person, the guest to kind of what what they want to share. Sure. But I just I mean, my favorite compliment I got was I felt like I was having coffee with you and your guest. Yeah. And that's what I've always aimed for. Yep. And that's the idea too, I think, certainly with, with podcast formats. And there's, there's, as you know, there's all kinds of mental health related podcasts mm-hmm. out there. I mean, there's a podcast for every flavor, virtually for everything. But oh, I yeah. think the fact that now there's a platform for mental health uh, that wasn't there, like I said, you know, when I was going through my struggles is amazing. Because I mean, when I was ill, there's no social media, there's no Facebook, there's, I mean, even in Buffalo, there's no NA. So, so really for what it's worth, so much has happened in the last 30, 35 years to help people, to give them resources, to give them the tools that, and it still doesn't make it easy, but it's more accessible. Yeah. And I think, I think now, you know, as time goes on, I think it's now more important than ever to use stuff like this to get the word out. And I'm, a, and I, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna mention the company's name, but it's looking like I'm gonna be working closely for a little bit here, creating a lot of content and 
doing some brand strategy with the company in 2021 here. And I'm I'm really looking forward to it because I think that it's still not being used by majority of behavioral health organizations the way it should be used. That's terrific. And so I'm, I, yeah, I'm really looking forward to at least putting my putting money where my mouth is. Right. So right. it's my it's my time to do that. I'm hoping. Yeah. But yeah. It, it need, well, it's done. It needs to get done for sure. The thing, like you know, like you said, it's an evolution. I mean, I remember, like I said, you heard where I began. I yep. mean. I started working professionally in 1992, and then it just kind of grew and evolved. And so, as long as you're willing to learn, as well, as long as you're willing to take the risk, that's I what it folks, is. Yeah. You gotta take the risk. You have to. You know, there's no reward without a risk, and um, but there's also no failure, right? Mm. That's powerful. I, you know, yeah. I, I've I've had jobs. I had a job once for a local uh, agency for four months, and it's so funny. I was actually I was at Horizon, and I needed, <laughs> I felt I needed to make a change. And I got a job at, I won't say the agency, um, I got a job at a place and <laughs> Sean, I swear to God, I walked in the very first day I got into that job. I realized I wasn't, what didn't, wasn't supposed to be there. I was like, oh crap, what have I done? Immediately, huh? Immediately. Like the first day, Sean, the first mm. day, cause it didn't fit, feel right. It wasn't doing what I felt I should be doing. I went there thinking that it was something that looked like a good possibility, but the, like day one is just like a fish out of water. Um, was it like some was some shady stuff going on, or was it just no, 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 no? The sloppy. company was, was totally the company was totally legit. Um, it was a bona fide program. Is you know state it was state okay. funded. You know, worked through Medicaid and all that. No, it was it was it wasn't, it wasn't them. You just it was me. didn't vibe with them. Okay, yeah. It wasn't me. It was me. It's like me saying like, okay, this is the kind of work that I want to do. It was you know, okay. but but with that though. With that, I was very fortunate because I knew Ken Hausnecht, who was the executive director mm -hmm. of the MHA, Mental Health Association, Michelle Brown from Compeer. I knew both of them personally. And I swear, what happened was one day I was feeling really frustrated. And, and this, this I won't say where it was at, but uh, I'll just say I went to a Home Depot uh, parking lot. I sat in the parking lot during my lunch hour. I called Ken. I said, Ken, I, I, you got to help me out. I was on the board for the MHA at the time, by the way, so okay. I knew him. I knew him okay. All. I said, Ken, I said, this is, I said, I can't do this. This is really rough. I can't, I can't, I can't handle this job. Now, mind you, I was still looking around other places. I had some irons in the fire. Uh, he goes, he goes, okay, let me, let me see what I can do. So he and Michelle put their heads together and they created a position at the NHA and Compere. It was a shared position between both agencies, but that's what really helped me to launch into the second lifetime of a career where is more advocacy and, and, you know, out in the public and being more training and workshops where before I was more of a clinician and I had that higher mm -hmm. ed stint and all that, all that was like the, the, the basis for my, my understanding of mental health and addiction and how to, how to um, relate that to people. But the actual work of promoting and so forth didn't begin until 2014 in January when I, could, when I started the job okay. there. So it really, it's only been, it hasn't even been seven years. Well, it's been just yeah. about seven years almost. And it's remarkable what the last seven years has been like. Oh. I can't even, like, I can't begin to tell you how <laughs> amazing the last seven years has been. Yeah. I mean, that's how, that's kind of where I'm at with the last uh, about three now. It's just, it's so interesting when you look back on your life. I mean, in time, I can only imagine this happens. It goes faster as you get older. It does. Well, it's like the toilet paper roll, right? You know, the toilet yeah. paper, the, long, the more the toilet <laughs> paper roll goes, the faster it goes, right? That's how life is. Yeah. But, but, you know, we have a saying, we have a saying, and my program says beyond our wildest dreams. Mm -hmm. And, and that's my life is far beyond. Sean, I can't, you know, and this is what I tell people that that might be struggling, feel like there's no hope or whatever. Man, if anybody had even told me that I would have the life I have now when I first became ill, I would have said, no way, I'd love it, but how that's impossible. 
but it is possible. Now, let me just say too, Sean, I have to add too, is, is my belief system, my faith. You know, um, I, 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 I do believe in God. I do believe in the power of God. And I do believe in higher power. It's just called that, mm -hmm. which is the term that many people use. I don't know. I just use the word God because that's the word that's used. I don't, I don't think I can put a, I don't think you can't put God in a container, right? You can't, no. God <laughs> you can't is package God and then put him on a shelf, right? Or put it on a shelf. Um, but for me, this force, this power, this, I don't even know what it is, frankly. I know it's been something in my life that has really helped me to go beyond wherever I thought I could, go beyond my self-perceived limitations. And a lot of that has to do with developing a belief in oneself to take those risks. Because every time you take a risk, and you find some degree of success, you say to yourself, well, gee, maybe I could do more. And that's been the sort of, so now, Sean, I'm trying things that, like I said, even a few years ago, I never would have tried. I'm like, I wouldn't have tried creating a program like I just created hmm. a couple of years ago. It, was, it wouldn't have been possible. But now I'm saying to myself, you know what? Why not? And I'll tell you something, I, I have a coach that I work mm -hmm. with. Her name is Sabrina. Sabrina is amazing. And, and so for like, everybody could serve to have a mentor or a coach and I'm just saying for business, just in general, and someone who can be a guide, who can be also who can hold you accountable. That's the big, biggest piece, at least for me, that's the biggest piece. <laughs> Accountability is huge, yeah. right? Because you could, you could give some person the tools, but if they don't follow through, then, you know, what's the point? Yep. So like I've been able to do some things with the help of others. And that's the thing too. None of what I've done has been all alone. No. None of it. I've had support along the way. I've had to ask for help which is a big thing, a uh, key thing, you know, another saying is a closed mouth doesn't get fed. Mm -hmm. So I've learned to ask for help. I'm, you know, I've been married now, Sean, um, for over 26 years, you know, two adult daughters, 25 and 22. I'm so proud of my girls. I mean, they are both good young women. They are strong. They are, yeah, they're good kids. And, and my wife and I have a tremendous relationship. I also have to give props to her because, you know, um, being someone with a mental health condition like I have, she was with me, like I said, in 1995 when I had that at last episode. Yeah. And that was for her. Imagine that you're, you're the wife and she knew about my bipolar before that. And, and but this happened, it really kind of rocked our world to the point where my mother even said to her or said to me, rather said to me, you might, you might lose her. Hmm. And, and, but my wife being the person that she is, steadfast and, and, and loyal, she stuck with me. And, and so, so through now, um, she is, she is my, my grounding mechanism because hmm. she is so much not like me. Right? <laughs> I tend to be the flighty one, the one who gets all passionate, excited, jumpy and all that. And she's the one who's really grounded. Look, calm uh, down, Carl, calm down. Yeah, yeah, totally, yeah. totally. And I need that. <laughs> I need someone to kind of rein me in because I get, I can get all off, you know, off mm. kilter. But our relationship has been incredible over the years. And, uh, and so all these things have happened that, like I said, in you know, my early days of my illness, I never thought could be possible. But, you know, the funny thing is, and I'll just say this thing too about the 12-step program, a lot of what I learned about relationships and how to have healthy relationships was through the 12-step program. That's really what it's about because I think life's all about relationships anyway. Mm. Yeah. And, and, and so I learned what it means to be a good friend and have good, healthy relationships with people, good, have good friends, how to let go of the toxic people in my life. I don't really have toxic people in my life right now. None. Not a one. Can I consider my life a toxic person? Yeah, people I choose awesome. to surround myself with are positive, are just great people. Uh, you know, funny, real, getting back to the, the, the music thing, um, I do a thing with three of my friends, we call it Vinyl Night, right? So it's like four <laughs> old guys listen to vinyl records. We've been doing this for like um, over 27 years. That's great. 
We started in yeah. 1994. Well, maybe 26 years. And, and so since then, we've been we get together on a regular basis, pull out some records, and sit around. And you know, we would do it on my buddy's patio, you know, before COVID. And you know, more recently, we did it outside, socially safe distance with a boombox. Um, now we do Zoom. We don't even play music. We just do it as a support. We talk. And and you know, through we've had births, deaths, major illnesses. It's a support group mm-hmm. of men. You know, you're talking about men before, like so. Yeah. It's men getting real with men. You know, men don't do that. No, no. And, and so we we together uh, have developed a, a, a camaraderie that has, first of all, stand the, the, the test of time. But these are my my best friends, hmm. right? And I consider myself very fortunate. Like I said, I have, I have a nice, I have some good social capital. That's what they call it. I have some good social capital. I have the kind of relationship with people that if I'm in a crisis, I have enough people on my uh, speed dial that I get a hold of someone and they would be on it right away. I'll give an example. In 1995, when I had that manic episode, I was at home. We were living in North Buffalo. I literally was going off. I was, I was, I had a breakdown. I was crying. I was, you know, just horrible shape. My wife said, Carl, Carl, what do you want me to do? I said, call Mark. Mark was, uh, is one of my oldest friends from the program. Uh, he lived in Lockport. He was the best man at my wedding. I was the best man at his wedding. He lived in Lockport. He literally, I don't know, I don't know, I must have lost track of time. He seemingly got there like he he teleported himself. <laughs> like without it, he got there, he he picked me up. We went to a meeting. He didn't know what else to do. He's not a he's not a metal professional. He took me to a meeting. I'll never forget. I've, I'm at this meeting at Stutzman in the basement with, <laughs> with, with him on one side. And my other friend, Ed, on the other side, Ed's like 6'2 or 6'3. But now, mind you, I was delusional. I thought they were like my bodyguards. I swear to God, that's where I was at, man. Oh, man. But so, but then after that, I just, he helped me. He had his own business. He'd pick me up from Buffalo and go out to Lockport to hang out with him. Hmm. That's a friend. Absolutely. And to today, we he moved to Florida a long time ago. We still talk all the time, all the time. I mean, that's what it's about, man. That's what life is about, is like these enduring relationships that mean. And you know what? So funny thing is, Mark is totally on the opposite of the political spectrum than me. Like, you know, and I'll just leave it at that, if you know what I mean. Yeah, well, um, yeah, pretty much well, we could probably put the, that label on there. You can then. figure that out. Yes. You can figure that out. <laughs> but, but, the, but, but you know what? That, that doesn't even, like, our relationship transcends all of that. Mm-hmm. You know, you, can, yeah. you know, and that's how I, that's how I look at it with relationships. Like, you know, you go beyond maybe some of these things that are more, and they are superficial because in the, what it comes down to is what's in your heart mm-hmm. and how do you love the next person? So like we talk about unconditional love in the program and how to give unconditional love and how to receive unconditional love. So Mark and I have unconditional love for each other, unconditional. And, and that's for me is really what, like I said, that's the beauty. That's amazing. And I think everybody needs that. And I think especially men. And I don't know if we touched base on it in this recording or before the crap hit the fan and then we had to reset everything. But <laughs> that is something I'm trying to really do uh, more recently. Because I mean, since I can remember, again, my brother and sister died when I was 15. And very early on, I knew life could end for anybody at any moment. Right. And the yeah. company yep. that I kept was always good company. Very few friends. I don't use that term loosely. Met you know other men and that I could talk to and that I would say, hey, I love you, bro. Hey, I love you too, man. You know, and very few friends. And I'm trying to surround myself with that because that is you're right. Even starting my business, it's not what you know, it's who you know. People yep. will oh, people totally. trust you. People know you. They will pay more for you than they will for somebody who's even better than you at yeah. doing the job because they know. You, they can trust you and they're comfortable with you. And I think that's, yeah. that's a huge piece. And yeah. Yeah. 
so so the idea of relationships transcends like it's it's part of all part of it. it's, it's awesome, family yeah. friends community business it's all about relationships mm-hmm. and, and and like you said that's how you get things done like they call it networking right i mean in the business world yeah. what's the relationships exactly yeah so um and and of course reputation and how others perceive you and that is really what it's about and and so for me at the end of the day i just want to know when i'm ready to take that last breath that i've had some good relationships i've helped somebody and that I'm hopefully leaving the world in a little bit better place than I, than I got into it with. Yeah, um, awesome. And that I don't have to save everybody. That's that's impossible. But maybe I help somebody. And I know I have. Mm-hmm. You know, I think about sometimes, um, you know, the people I work with at, at uh, Horizon or, you know, the talks I've done. You know, I've done a lot of talks and so forth. And people say, oh, thank you. That was so helpful. And I mean, that means a lot because when you can make that kind of impact on a person's life, you know that you're making a difference. And and you never know when you're like you never know when you're, you're reaching somebody. No, you don't. You can you can be giving a talk. Someone might walk out. It might stay with them. You may never know. So that's also why I like having a platform, whether it be through the Facebook Live program that I do or the other opportunities I have to speak in front of groups to to maybe touch a life and to you know have someone walk away with maybe just a little bit more hope hmm. for the future. That is awesome, Carl. Yeah, you are great. I mean, there was so much at the end there. That I just love. I mean, people I just kind of went have, off for a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> and it was it was great. I can't wait to uh, when I'm editing it to hear it all over again because there is so much. I mean, hope for people that they can recover. I mean, developing those relationships is so important to have that person you can call when you know the crap is hitting the fan. All right, I need somebody to call. Who is it? I mean, that can't be stressed enough how important all that stuff is and what you're doing. I think it is awesome. I know you got so much going on and you've been around and you know so many people and so you are making a difference. And I was very excited to have this conversation with you. Finally, it happened. Yeah, yeah, it, it did. It almost looked like it wasn't going to for a second. I'm like, <laughs> what is happening? But it happened. And I'm very happy. Yeah. But how do people, Um, I'm going to leave all the links below when I release this, but yeah. you know, where, where can people go to find out more about at least what you got going on in your life? Yeah. Yeah. So one good place is um, LinkedIn. I mean, I'm on LinkedIn. Okay. Uh, that's where I post a lot of things that I'm doing. Uh, my website is shallowhornconsulting.com. Very easy to remember. Uh, I'm on Facebook too under Shallowhorn Consulting. So those are the three main places uh, mm-hmm. that you can see what I'm doing. But um, and like I said, I'm developing my program, and people can reach out to me, uh, Carl at ShallowhornConsulting.com, if they want information about that. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, that's uh, what I'm doing. And uh, oh, I didn't say this too. One other cool thing I'm doing is uh, this coming spring, I'm doing a TED Talk. Oh yeah, you did tell me this before. That's awesome. I'm doing it for TEDx that. Buffalo. I'm for TEDx Buffalo. I'm doing a talk on Afro American men and mental health. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And what did you so say? You, did you say the, the mental health series that got put on hold or something? Yeah, yeah, it did. It did. It, for reasons, uh, well, I'll just put it this way. The, the a potential sponsor decided to put its uh, efforts into COVID. Okay. Yeah. So that you can kind of figure that one out right there. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Okay, then. <laughs> So awesome. Carl, you are an awesome man and I'm oh, grateful thanks, man. for your time, man. I really am. Thanks, and appreciate it. I hope thanks we Yeah, I hope we continue these conversations because again, I'm all about them. Definitely. So I want to wish you two the best with your new venture. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited for it as well. What the future holds. I'm hoping again, just like you saying in seven years, when seven years comes for me, I'm like, wow. Yeah, look, at least can look back and I've learned something from all the mistakes I've made (laughs) over the last next few years. So I'm looking forward to it. But I will. Yeah, I'll stay in touch with you. I'll let you know what I'm releasing this. And again, if you I don't know if you want to listen to it before it goes out either way, I'll I'll, I'll 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 connect with you when it comes out. 
Beautiful. All right, Carl. I will uh, be in touch with you, man. Hey, man. Take care of yourself. You too. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. This podcast was recorded, edited, and produced by Room 9. Room 9 helps behavioral health organizations achieve clarity around the brand, their purpose, and the content they create by delivering a precise and clear path that will radically transform the way your company connects with the people who use their services. Check us out at room9podcast.com or give us an email at room9podcast at gmail.com. As always, thank you for listening and your support and just being a part of this community. Talk to you guys next week. Thank you.